Hi, everybody. This is Matt and Will. And before we start this week's episode proper, uh, it felt like this was a week where we wanted to add a little something to remember a creator who has had a deep impact on the comics industry. So yeah, we wanted to jump in and just remark on the passing of of a legend, uh, George Perez. And we talk a lot about problematic creators in the show. And I obviously don't know him, but judging by the industry reaction, this is a man with so many friends, seems universally beloved and an inspiration to so many artists working today. I'm sure the Comics XF newsletter will feature some tribute to Perez. I know my co-host on my other show, WMQ&A, Dan Grote, went to a retirement farewell event for Perez at a con before the dark times with our other buddy and third amigo, uh, Rob Lynch. And I have not heard anything but the most glowing things about Perez. One other note, we did miss the boat on doing this for Neil Adams last week. Uh, We did record something with the episode we recorded last week that will appear. But while Adams is more, much more associated with Batman, Perez still had a lasting impact on the Dark Knight and his world, not through his work on Batman itself, but on his work on the New Teen Titans, as Perez is the co-creator of the Nightwing identity. He's the one who designed the, the disco collar Nightwing costume and with Marv Wolfman helped Dick Grayson grow up and become Nightwing. Oh, that Disco Nightwing is fly as fuck, Matt. It is a legendary costume. Perez is legendary for having the ability to draw these massive crowd scenes and big crossovers. So he's drawn a ton of Batman between Crisis on Infinite Earths, JLA Avengers, bits and pieces of Infinite Crisis, some Justice League stuff, and Teen Titans. You, you couldn't get away from a Perez Batman here and there. And not that you'd want to, because, man, that guy could draw. My thoughts uh, today, Mother's Day, when we were recording this, are especially with his family. The goodbye from terminal cancer is very painful, both as, as someone suffering through it and as, as family. Uh, I've lost both my parents to that. Uh, this is actually my first Mother's Day without my mother. And so just having gone through that experience, you, you can't really imagine what that's like uh, to watch a family member unless you've, you've been through it. So my thoughts are certainly with them today. Also, I would suggest looking into and making a contribution to the Hero Initiative, the charity that helps support comic book creators as, let's be completely frank, the industry is not great to its creators when it comes to things like healthcare. So many of them require the help of the Hero Initiative. So you can go to their website. I will put a link to the Hero Initiative in this week's show post. So you can go and make what contribution that you can to this worthy cause. Absolutely. But yeah, so thanks all for listening to this little bit. And Get ready for our usual brand of hijinks with the ranking of our 100th story. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you after the intro. I am the knight. I am Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how's it going tonight? It's going pretty well, pretty well. I am in my fourth location recording this show. We moved from my library at home to my podcasting studio to a remote location in Miami 
And tonight we're on the road at Batesville, Arkansas. Batesville, Arkansas, the jewel of the almost Midwest. And, and what are you doing in Batesville this fine Easter weekend as we record? Yes, and as you listen to this approximately uh, Christmas, uh, I got a half marathon tomorrow. So we're going to do that. Everybody it's... send your well wishes to Will a month after he runs yes. that marathon. Yes, uh, this is the, the conclusion of the spring half marathon season for me. Uh, let's hope I didn't blow out my leg tomorrow. Knocking the nearest wooden surface, which as I am in my new podcasting studio, I'm surrounded by wood. So I can pretty much knock anywhere and it's wood. <laughs> wood. <laughs> this week, we are celebrating something else. The first oh? story tonight will be oh? our 100th story on this list. Oh, 100 stories. Oh! So we decided to just do three stories that we felt like covering. Ones that sort of tie into previous stuff we've talked about or some other stuff that's going on. Our first story wraps up a trilogy that we have spoken very favorably of, the Vampire Batman trilogy. This is Crimson Mist. The Batman Crimson Mist's original graphic novel, written by Doug Mensch, penciled by Kelly Jones, inked by John Beatty, colors by Gregory Wright and Heroic Age, letters by Todd Klein, edited by Denny O'Neill with a cover date of February of 1999. Having tasted human blood, the vampire Batman is unleashed, cutting a bloody and homicidal swath through Gotham's underworld. Can an alliance of his old friends and enemies put a stop to his reign of terror? Here we go. This is the... One of the books that we were most looking forward to doing at the beginning of this show, Red Rain, and we hit Bloodstorm, and now here we are, story 100 for the list is Crimson Mist, the end of the trilogy. It will not be number 100, no. because that would mean it would have to be worse than White Knight, which might not be technically possible for any book, uh, and certainly not for Crimson Mist, because God damn it, I love this. This is a seriously fucked up book in a good way in the you know yeah. good fucked up way if if i could imagine doing cocaine while traveling down the highway at 130 miles an hour in a blinding rainstorm going downhill both ways i think that's this book these books got progressively wilder the, the first one is a pretty straight Batman versus a vampire story. The vampire. The vampire. Then you get into the second one and you get Joker, Renfield, Lord of the Vampires. And you get Where Catwoman. And it ends with Bruce killing the Joker, drinking his blood and having to be staked by Alfred and Jim Gordon. And this one is Batpire Unleashed. What if everyone in Gotham dies? Dies horribly. This isn't like, you know, one to the head. No, this is Batpire going and draining and beheading every criminal that he can get his cadaverous fingers on. Well, I mean, you don't want Vampire Penguin. Nobody wants that. No. And someday we will cover uh, the currently running DC versus vampires and see how that stacks up. I don't think we've gotten vampire penguin there, but we've gotten some, some serious vampire DC universe action in that book. Rosenberg and Tinian are doing a superhero vampire opus in that book. Wow. <laughs> this is even better. That sound was great folks, but seeing Will's face, he did it. That was Icing on the cake. Icing on the cake. Uh, one of these days is going to be a video podcast. You know, bonus episode. Might might have to put up the video someday. But man, yeah, I just, this was just amazing, right? Chapter two had the, the you know, the middle part of a trilogy syndrome that every trilogy, aside from the original Star Wars trilogy faces, maybe Godfather, admittedly, if, if, if you listen to the people out there. One day I'll watch those movies. Anyway, well, the um, problem with Godfather is Godfather Three is trash. So, oh, well, well, I know that. Again, not having seen them, I listen to people. I know things. This was just tits from start to finish. It was just great, right? On the way 
over here today, I read um, either our second or our third story uh, to finish out for the uh, for the for the week, and then I just started rereading uh, this for funsies, right? Because it's just it's so much fun. It is, and I mean, this is Kelly Jones, like just going insane. Even by Kelly Jones standards, this book is wild. the The transformation of Batman into this hideous skeletal vampiric creature with bugs crawling all over him at various points this is woof like i can only imagine when you know mention jones like plotted this out and they get to the third book and you know mention's like yeah he's gonna be basically you know a cadaver for this he's going to be uh, a corpse i'm sure jones was you know he just cracked his knuckles and was like all right, let's do it. Someday. Got it. Someday, well, you need to check out, Jones drew a couple of miniseries for Dead Man, and his Dead Man is a skeleton, basically. He, he took away all of the acrobatic body language of Dead Man and just made him this writhing Kelly Jones-esque skeleton man, and it's chef's kiss. Nobody draws a cadaver like kelly jones and and the writing in this is spectacular too i want to point out one line from the introduction which just stuck with me upon reading it we we open on batman in his coffin because he's not dead you know he asks gordon and alfred at the conclusion of bloodstorm stake me take my head let's put it into this and Gordon and Alfred can't commit. They can't go the full measure. So they just stake him. And this leaves Batman and this perpetual, he calls it death, a, a false death. And I love this line. And it just speaks to so, how solid this thing is. If I can find it. Come on, come on. It's right here. Horror is the awareness that the awareness of horror will never end. God damn, Ooh. that's a line. That is goose flesh. That, that, oh, I mean, we basically get all of the bat rogues that weren't in the last volume. So basically everybody but Selena and Joker, at least the Gotham-based bat rogues. I mean, we don't get Raish or Talia, but we get all the classic bat rogues in here meeting horrible devices at the hands of the bat vampire man. Yeah, they again, they all die, and Batman is just unleashed. He has barely enough awareness to keep himself from killing Gordon and Alfred, and just the barest hint of that. And you know, he's got these scenes where he goes after Penguin's gang in the beginning of the book, and he tells he tells the gang members, talk fast or die slow. Like, this is. This is a Batman who is obviously much more intimidating as an undead monster, but he is 100% willing to back up all of the intimidation tactics he has ever used. Oh, the, the whole sequence with the Penguin, I think, is one of the more... because As you said, the gang is there, too. A lot of the villains, he just kills the villain. Here, it's Penguin with his entire mob, and he just wipes that. And the thing that the vampire Batman does is when he drains somebody, he beheads them every time. He never leaves a spawn. So he basically cuts off these guys' heads. The gang that is out with the penguin gets them to tell him where the rest of the gang is and enters by throwing their severed heads into the room. And yet through all of this carnage, there is the awareness that this is a profound tragedy. Right. This is this is a guy who was committed to law and order and decency, and all of that is gone. And there is the knowledge that he has that this is the best that he will do. Because you know, he says toward the end, like, eventually I'm going to stop beheading them. Eventually, I'm going to turn on the innocent. Eventually, I'm going to be as bad, if not worse, than Dracula. Yeah, because whoa. Imagine Batman with all his intellect, with the power and complete lack of any 
morality that comes with being a vampire. Okay, folks, spoilers for DC versus vampires. Jump forward 30 seconds to a minute if you don't want to hear, unless you want me to stop, Will. La, 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 la. Okay, then I won't. I won't say anything. I, I wasn't sure. I didn't know if you were reading it. No, I haven't. It's, okay. It's in the pile. I'm, I want to. Then I won't spoil it. But the only thing I will say is when you find out who the new Lord of the Vampires in that is, oh, it's a kick in the teeth. And it's oh. almost as scary as a full-on Batman as a vampire. Oh. Like, Ooh. real close. Possibly scarier only because the new Lord of the Vampires is someone with nearly all of Batman's capabilities, but who anyone will invite into their house. Mm. Yeah, mm. someone trusted by more than Bruce, because Bruce, as we all know, is kind of a paranoid dick sometimes. Uh, yeah, we'll have to do that for uh, Halloween. Yes, because yeah, we because it's well, it might even be done around then, because it, it's a 12-issue Issue six came out last month. They're taking two months off, and then the second act starts. It doesn't start until July. Ah, we, we might have to do. We might do the first half. We might do Act One for for Halloween. And, and we could uh, guess there's plenty of time too to track down Batman and Superman versus Vampire Wellworth Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> a truly horrifying book. Yes, the experience alone is horrifying. All right, so I got one question for you. In sure. this, do you think? And this was maybe my one substantive issue. Do you think Alfred came off as a little too simpering in this book? A little too Renfield? A little too, yes, master, yes. I Yeah, I would have liked, I mean, Alfred always is the one person who could stand up to Bruce. Or one of the very few. You know, Alfred, Leslie Tompkins, Lois Lane, Amanda Waller. They're about it. Though of normal humans who just kind of are like, yeah, I'm not taking any of your shit. So while I understand that Alfred feels a level of guilt and understandable guilt, I suppose, for the, the chaos going on out there, he would also be the first one to, you know, slap Vampire Batman and say, you're bloody well better than this. I feel as if there is a supernatural force that draws Alfred to unstake bats because of, you know, he has the nightmares and I feel like that connection could have been drawn out a little more, right? We could have turned that a little more into text rather than subtext to give basically Alfred a little more cover for being just kind of this almost kind of pathetic because he, he offers Bruce his neck not once, but twice. And I'm like, eh, come on. Come come on. That should have been saved for the, the end. The, the yeah. time that Bruce does. Because that makes it a huge moment. When he did it when Bruce first comes out of the casket, and then he does again. Yeah, it does come off as a bit much. I should have kept the page handy. But when we're getting near the end of the book, Bruce has this this soliloquy after he's met with ariana the supernatural expert who's appeared in each of these volumes at one point or another but you can't help me he's got a page where it's just him and he's talking about the temptation and all this and it's brilliantly written you feel the struggle that he's going through and the struggle that he knows he is losing and is right on the edge of it being a lost cause. Right before that, there's also a great page of the alliance between Alfred, Jim Gordon, Two-Face, and Killer Croc are going into the Batcave to prepare for the assaults on Batman. They enter the cave at high noon, and there's light coming in because they blew up Wayne Manor at the end of Volume 1 to kill most of Dracula's spawn. And it's just this cool vertical page of them walking down into the cave it just looks so cool friggin kelly jones just hitting it out of the park on this book the one thing i didn't find interesting in the way of continuities i guess in this world harvey becomes two-face much later 
or has this all happened sort of early in Batman's career? Like, was Bruce not Batman that long before he confronted Dracula? That's not a, a problem. I'm just unsure of it. Because, I mean, there have been various hints throughout that there were people who didn't know who the Joker was. And now Two-Face just becoming Two-Face at the beginning of this volume. It makes me figure, okay, I guess this was fairly early in Batman's career. And all of this has happened at that point. That's what it certainly feels like. Because in the presumably short time that Batman is staked, right? If it feels very short. Because, you know, Gordon and Alfred don't drastically age, right? Uh, you know, he doesn't wake up to a Gotham that's basically something like Batman Beyond. So it feels like it could have only been a year, two years, six months, like some vaguely indeterminate amount of time. But it's after that he's staked that you feel the gallery really comes together, aside from Catwoman, who just came together in the last book. And Scarecrow and Two-Face and Ivy and Killer Croc, like none of these are real known quantities. And Gordon is basically at his wits end. He's like, I don't know what to do with all of these freaks and weirdos showing up. He was my freaks and weirdos guy. And now he's gone. It's not a problem at all that this is an early version of Batman's world. Hey, it it does indicate that Gotham doesn't need Batman for these guys to come out of the woodwork. It was going to happen one way or the other. But Batman being there is the thing that has kept the madness at bay. Here's a question. Yes. And this is something that we've seen. I don't know if we've seen this in any of the stories we've done here before. But it's something that different writers, some do, some don't. Two-Face, when speaking in the first person in this, uses the first person plural. He goes by we as opposed to I. And I've never particularly dug that, but I can see why you do the we thing. But I've never particularly been a huge fan of that. How do you feel about the the we's for Harvey? I think... Two-Face should be the dominant personality. I think that they should be separate. I think it should be the sort of of situation where he can have a conversation with himself. Mm. And when it's that kind of setup, I don't think you'd ever refer to yourself in the we. I guess it would be a really special and particular circumstance where the two of them have had had to come to some kind of agreement. Mm -hmm. for him to use that that i think the general we would probably not work yeah i can can definitely see where you're coming from there we share this meat sack but i am distinctly different than him yeah i like that i like that that interpretation kudos to gordon at the end of this book for a taking out two faces mob after being wounded while Alfred has to deal with the vampire Batman and for Gordon to be the one who finally has the cojones to do what he thinks he needs to do to kill vampire Batman and give him a final death. Doesn't quite work out. No, he tried, but but in the end, Batman, he beats it himself. He chooses to walk into the sun and it leads to a final page where that tableau is like, Oof, a lot of good final pages this week. We'll we'll get there as we move forward. Some some gorgeous last pages in this book. In the all these in each of these books, actually. I absolutely would have would have read a fourth story in this. Some fragment of Batman survives. We just we bring him back to torture him again. This would have been an interesting thing if they weren't so focused in the, the metal series of finding alternate versions of batman who were integral to other superheroes if metal had just been oh we're gonna bring all of the else worlds together oh man bringing this batman into the main universe swap this guy out for batman who laughs any day it would be really interesting to see bruce have to confront a supernatural evil batman because the, the Batman who laughs, he can kind of wrap his head around. Like, okay, this is basically Joker. 
But this vampire Batman is something removed from that. I'd love to read that battle. Question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think the world of Batman colon vampire with these three stories, is this a world without Superman? I believe it is. They, they did make one model one of the 52 Earths after this world, but it's clearly not the same because you couldn't do this is Batman's dead by the end of it, obviously. But I think this is a world where all we have is Gotham. This isn't a DC universe world. This is a world where the superhero of this world is Batman. And this is what happens. Unless, again, this is early enough in his career that he hasn't gotten involved with the Justice League yet. So they don't even know about Gotham or get involved. The Crimson Rain can't like be just localized over Gotham. That has to be a thing. The, the Red Rain. So I can't. Yeah, I think I personally feel like this is a world where really there aren't that much in the way of superheroics. And it's just a world with a Gotham. Vampire Batman versus Superman. Who you got? Vampire Batman until he bites him. There's one of two ways that this goes very poorly for Vampire Batman. Version one is you suddenly now have Vampire Superman, which is a terrifying concept. Not what you want. No. The other possibility is there was an issue of Superman where Superman fought Dracula. And when Dracula bit him, remember, Superman's powers are solar-based. His cells are supercharged with solar radiation. So trying to drink that was like drinking lighter fluid. So Vampire Batman takes a bite and is like... So I don't think that winds up working very well for Vampire Batman. Because turning him, A, you remove one of his vulnerabilities. Because now he's a creature of magic. So he's no longer vulnerable to magic. Or not the same Kryptonian vulnerability to magic that tends to exist. And if he's already dead, is Kryptonite really going to affect him? You've now made Mm. a completely immortal, indestructible Kryptonian vampire. They finally made the goddamn plane out of the black box. The only trick is that I just realized I said he's solar powered. So eventually he's going to lose his powers and become a normal vampire. But for that period of time, until he runs out of solar energy, he's going to wipe out the entire planet. Mm, So many questions. Yeah. But I think those are questions for another time. I think that means it's time to put Batman Crimson Mist on the big board. Okay. Like I said, we have 99 stories on the list already. Number one is year one for Batman volume one, numbers 404 to 407. Number 25 is Identity Crisis, not that one, from Batman volume one, numbers 455 to 457. Number 50 is Robin year one, the Robin annual from volume two, number four. At 69, we have Dark Knight, a true Batman story. Number 75 is Bouncing Baby Boy from JLA 65. And then at 99 is and will remain batman white knight so first off we we already said it but this is better than bloodstorm so bloodstorm is at 31 so we're, we're better than that red rain is at five red rain is still better red rain is such a perfect little capsule of a story it has a real heart Not like a, you know, warm, fuzzy heart, but it's got a strong emotional arc to it. We're here. Most of this is just like, ah, no. It's top 20. It's definitely in the top 20. I'd keep keep walking up. Like, to me is, God, I really want to put it in the top 10, but I feel like that's excessive. But this story is just such, such fun. Personally, where I'm looking right now, and we can, we, we can wiggle this up a bit if you want, is the new number 13. I think 11 and 12 with Arkham Asylum, a serious, how, a, a serious house on serious, serious Earth. Wow, that is not easy to say. And Mask from Legend of the Dark Knight 39 and 40. There's a lot to be said about 
and in both of those stories. This one, while there's a lot to be said about it, there isn't a ton that it has to say other than, boy, Vampire Batman is fucking cool. Yeah. yeah since you just mentioned Arkham Asylum, I'll say, uh, go home. Your work is done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, if you haven't read this, I don't want to spoil what happens at Arkham Asylum, but you've already heard what we said. Take a guess. <laughs> the, the asylum is closed for business. Yeah, I think I think 13 is good. I think that's a real good spot for this. Also, it, it feels kind of appropriate that this is our now number 13 on the list. Oh, man top of this list is just getting getting to be a blood sport yeah no pun intended our second story of the night is when in rome uh this is catwoman when in rome numbers one through six the writer is jeff Loeb. the penciler and inker are tim sale uh colors by dave stewart letters by richard starkings edited by mike chiarello and michael seglane Cover dates November of 2004 to August of 2005. Escaping Gotham and her problems with Batman and the Falcone crime family, Catwoman drags the Riddler on a Roman holiday to learn about her own family history. Right off, out of the gate, normal creator watch when we get to a story by this guy, Jeff Loeb, still as far as we know, a racist. Tim Sale, though, probably a good dude. One time I met him, he was a real nice guy. Got a scarecrow. Great sketch. artist. Oh yeah, got a uh, just a quick ink scarecrow sketch from him in my sketchbook. He was like, "Buy anything at my table, give you a free sketch." So I bought something at his table, and he quickly added a scarecrow to my sketchbook of Batman sketches. Which at some point I'm going to take pictures of of the different sketches I've gotten and start putting them up on the Bat Chat Twitter, like one a day. It, most of them. There's a, there's a couple that I. I didn't realize how problematic these people were when those they made those sketches and now oh, it's like no. i don't want to remove anything from the sketchbook but i i don't want to acknowledge that i paid ethan von skeever for a sketch for instance now, this was 20... van, van 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 skeever i i think it's Van skyver i just well well he's a fuckhead so who cares yeah. but i i have actually never heard that again this is the toughest part about uh comics journalism these goddamn names how to pronounce them i mean you know i in all fairness everyone out there i got that sketch in 2011 he was not out as that guy in 2011 as far as most of us knew at least i didn't know at the time i now know and i'm like oh i hate that that is like the second sketch of my 80 something sketches in this sketchbook most of the guys i've gotten sketches from really great guys i think he's peaked it feels like he's peaked i feel like we're talking less about it yeah, it's hard to keep going at that level of bastard. He has nothing to do with this book. This is not as heavy and portentous as either Long Halloween or Dark Victory. And not as essential, certainly. No, but it's fun. Yeah, it's unless you're a big Riddler fan. Yeah, but you get to the end and there's a turn there. That we'll discuss when we get to that. Because I feel like this was, this was 09. And so this has to be viewed as Loeb almost setting the stage for another one of his opuses, Hush, or retroactively setting the stage. Because Hush had already happened. And Hush, which ends with a Riddler twist. This story ends with a pretty similar Riddler twist and also ties in to Hush with Riddler's fascination about who is Batman. So I think this was Loeb sort of tying the Long Halloween Dark Victory stuff more tightly in with another one of his major Batman stories. And I get that the twist happens and certainly it's interesting, but man, Riddler spends 80% of this book just being a complete putz. Like he's there for comic relief selena even at one point is like why the fuck did i bring him along like he's he's just like a pest a perv of just nothing like i can take a riddler who's an unctuous little shit who thinks he's smarter than everybody but this guy is just a weasel 
Yeah, this guy you want to shove in a locker. The twist seems strange because if Riddler had invited himself along on this trip, it would make more sense. But Selena dragged him along and he suddenly has this entire Batman gambit set up. He's using that kind of elaborate, crazy Batman planning to get what he wants out of Selena here. And I'm not sure how well that works. I don't think it does, right? When we got to the the moment where, you know, we had the big reveal, I was just like, okay, sure. I guess it makes sense, but that doesn't make everything else that came in this book better. There's a couple of neat moments and a couple of weird moments. Like a couple of moments where I'm like, did nobody edit this book? (laughs) Because there's one line where Selena literally says the joker has purple hair no the joker wears purple and has green hair and another where she says that 10 years old that's the same age that bruce's parents were killed eight now granted that's kind of a moving target that has been different times over different years but by this point i was pretty sure eight was pretty firmly established by 2009 and We spend a lot of time in this book talking about Selena's parents. How does this mesh with her having a sister? Is it a half-sister? That's a good question. Because this has always been the one thing that has really not jived with continuity in those Long Halloween, Dark Victory, this little corner of the, the Batverse. It's never quite made sense only answer i've ever sort of gotten in my own head is that the kyles were the ones who adopted her so maggie is her adopted Ah. sister okay that would make sense yeah that if they thought they couldn't have another child they wanted maggie to have a sister they adopted her she and maggie aren't that far apart in age to the point that if they possibly didn't tell maggie that selena was adopted and it was just one day, hey, there's a new baby, and Maggie was two or three, she wouldn't have known enough if they didn't tell her that Selena was adopted for her to realize it. So it kind of could work that way. That's my no prize, to borrow a Marvel term, solution to Maggie and Selena's relationship. I'll buy it. Makes sense to me. And I mean, they came, they, they grew up together. Selena still would view her as her sister. Because adopted family is as completely valid as biological family. So I, 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 that's how I answer this one. And while Loeb isn't doing as good work as the other two volumes that are tied to this, Sale is drawing some gorgeous, gorgeous work in this book. Oh, yeah. This is absolutely still just gorgeous to look at. I won't, I won't say there's a steep drop-off in the narrative quality from, you know, the last page of Long Halloween, the relative last page of Long Halloween. But Dark Victory is still good. It's number 10 on the big board, but there's definitely a gap there. I picked up the Long Halloween special, and I just, I couldn't find, like, anything that just felt essential to that. This is certainly better than that. I feel like maybe there's they're still they're still tinkering in this world. They're still going to finish the Gilda Dent story for some reason. But yeah, S- Sale is still operating at the highest level. Loeb's had a personal tragedy in 2005. His son died young uh, due to I think it was leukemia or some kind of childhood cancer and i don't feel like he ever fully recovered from that you can see an almost off a cliff of his output after his son died and i mean it's not like you can fault someone for having a deep personal tragedy and it sort of screwing up how they work creatively and granted i haven't read much that he's written in a long time but If that long Halloween special was any indication, it's not really gotten much better. But there's just, I don't know where you can continue to go with this story. 
you know, it's got a good endpoint. Like I, I just said, you know, not more than 20 minutes ago that I wanted another volume of Batman vampire, but this, this goose feels cooked. Yeah. I mean, dark victory was the ending. This was a story about the evolution of Gotham, the rise of the freak and Batman realizing he couldn't do this alone, almost losing that belief with Harvey Dent's transformation and then recovering with meeting Dick Grayson. That's the arc of this universe. So yeah, I don't know other than the dump truck full of money that a long Halloween Halloween special would make at $8.99 or $9.99 or whatever it costs. I don't know why that was necessary. So let me ask you this. Having done Long Halloween, Dark Victory, you're back at the old comic book shop. You're trying to sell this trade to me. Why am I picking this up? And you can't say Tim Sale. (laughs) I love making things hard for you, Matt. Okay. Can't say Tim Sale. Or art. (sighs) (laughs) it's the worst game of taboo ever yeah i mean there's nothing essential about it if you really hate the riddler you'll love this book (laughs) because even when he you know at the end when it's revealed that he's been playing this whole thing from the beginning selena still wins in the end she still gets it if you are really into catwoman's arc in Long Halloween and Dark Victory, this would flesh that out. But it is not even essential to understanding her arc in those books. Yeah, I mean, the the, the main reason to read this is Tim Sale. They use the cheetah, one of Wonder Woman's main foes, if not her flat-out arch nemesis. And I love Selina as a character. As Selina even herself even points out, Cheetah goes toe-to-toe with Wonder Woman. Selina, with no preparation, logically speaking, should not be able to take the Cheetah. I think maybe that all works better if it's just Joker juice slash fear toxin. And Cheetah, Scarecrow are just like figments of, of her imagination. I could go with that. I could go with Eddie planting the right cues to make that because it, just, it doesn't make sense and and why i mean did eddie hire the cheetah just on principles like i want to fuck with her a little more so let's hire the other cat lady Cheetah's not a mercenary i don't know what eddie could have done to convince the cheetah to join his merry band of misfits here and the last quibble i'm gonna have about this well, the last two. A, there's this ring that is a complete MacGuffin that doesn't pop up until halfway through the story. And it's like, oh yeah, there's suddenly this important MacGuffin we're introducing at the end of issue three or four, somewhere later in the story. And what the hell was up with how they were playing Louisa Falcone, the Roman's wife? I just couldn't figure out, okay, so she went into a nunnery, but she's still running the mob from within the nunnery, maybe? I don't know. It's good, it's good witness protection. I mean, you know, it worked for Whoopi. It'll work for Louisa Falcon. <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't thought about the ring as a MacGuffin, but yeah, I think you'd have to call it that. I like the blonde as a character. The Italian hitman. He's just sort of obviously there for we need a studly you know someone to have romantic tension with selena but he was a decent character he could have been much duller than he was yeah but even he is not we're not sure whether he's supposed to like be after catwoman or know that selena is catwoman or this that relationship is real fuzzy just it feels like the whole time oh yeah no doubt this is a book that is just sort of there it has gorgeous art but the story more than any other jeff loeb story and i think jeff loeb often 
his stories are there to service his artists, to give them things to draw that are really neat. This is that times 100. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't got much else. That means it's time to put Catwoman when in Rome on the big board. All right. So the other Catwoman stories that we added last episode are Anodyne, up, that is now up at 14. And this is obviously no, not better than Anodyne. No. Then Her Sister's Keeper, that first miniseries, is down at 69 now. Nice. It's probably... Hmm. Well, here's the question. Her Sister's Keeper has a lot more to say. It's trying to make a point, even though it kind of flubs that point a bunch. The art is nowhere near as nice as it is on this book. And that is just such a utterly grim, dark book. And none of it feels right. Okay, I will say it is not going to go above 54, Batman Judge Dredd. Because that is also a book that is just there to sort of be fun and has also has great art. I would read Batman Judge Dredd again before I read this again. Mm. And yet they're, they're super heavy at 53. I would read this before I'd read super heavy. I think, again, we're going to someday do some flipping on here. I think Batman Judge Dredd move, at least moves up that one spot to be above super heavy. Super heavy minus the good story gets to hang out in the 70s or 80s. Where, how do you feel about this versus Death and the Maidens? That was definitely not Rucka's best. Death and the Maidens in 61. I think this is probably uh, Arkham Asylum, Living Hell, and we've said this before, has three and a half good issues and two and a half not at all good issues and really problematic stuff in some of those good issues too. This is never or rarely problematic. Some of the stuff between Eddie and Selena is kind of squidgy. And the first time you see Cheetah, that issue ends with a cat fight joke. That's sort of really, but that's still not as bad as the magpie stuff or the soap dropping jokes in living hell. Mm -mm. No, so definitely, definitely not. Definitely better than Living Hell. At 60 is Blades, which we all know I have a soft spot for, is also Tim Sale. This is better Sale because this is a decade plus later. But the story in Blades, while it has its softness in places, at least hangs together better than this does. What would you say about making this the new... 53 below secret of the waiting graves above super heavy really you want to go that high i it's it's a beautiful book to look at it that really is, is true see that's a weird stretch there because i feel like i would have liked clown at midnight and blades to be higher than a few of the things above them i i i, I mean i do think this is better than a bunch of the other stuff right above there I think if we put this, yeah, we put this in at 53, and then when someday we we can change the list a little, we put Batman Judge Dredd right below this and move Super Heavy down a notch, that might accommodate some of the issues I'm having here. All right, so 53 it is. Our final story of the night is Batman and Robin and Howard. This is an original graphic novel with story art and letters by Jeffrey Brown, colors by Silvana Brees, edited by Jim Chadwick and Courtney Jordan, with a cover date of November of 2021. Sidelined by Batman after a crime-fighting excursion goes wrong, Damian Wayne must learn how to live as an average kid, but life in his new school becomes more challenging than Damian expected when he meets his match in a rival named Howard. By the way, as opposed to these summaries that I usually write, that is lifted directly off the back of the book. Jeffrey Brown is a well-known creator of YA and children's graphic novels. He is probably best known for his Jedi Academy Star Wars YA books and for his single-panel strip books, Darth Vader and Son, and its continuing series with Vader, with little kid Luke and Leia trying to be a dad. So three things about this. One, in 2012, 
and reading this and i get i get to the very back and it's like oh vader and son i had a flashback to when i actually saw some of his art in exhibit at the cartoon art museum or the comic art museum whatever the name is in san francisco when i was out there for a conference if you ever out that way different exhibits now but it it was a fun place to, to visit two if you want to know what kind of a person i am i'm reading this book and i normally i i'm not big into math right i'm not a i, I, didn't, I didn't major in math haven't had a class in math in, in years but i wanted to make sure that the equations worked out um, like this uh, this algebra lesson so i i stopped and I, I solved the equations x is one y is 12 and third this was fun i enjoyed this and one of the reasons why we chose this story, other than we've done other YA Batman throughout the course of this podcast, is that this episode should be dropping the same week that Brown is a guest on my other show, WMQ&A. So, synergy! Synergy! This is a lot of fun. This is on the younger side of YA. This is probably more even younger readers than young adults. And it's just fun. I would not take these characters... If, if some of these characters acted this way in a book that was canon, it would be very bewildering. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Batman does not get locked in a snack room for like a week on his own. No. no. But... For a world, a slightly lighter version of the DC Universe, it works. And I think, as we have said with Lil Gotham, when Damien is written more as a kid, he comes off better. With believable motivations and attitudes and dialogue. And yeah, part of this book is learning to get along with people and understanding that your first impressions are not necessarily a a true impression uh, of meeting someone dealing with, you know, who might be a rival in a certain space, understanding that maybe you aren't the best at everything all the time forever. And that's all just natural stuff, right? Like, you know, I was academically gifted. I've been this Damien Wade in the classroom. I've been the guy that, Everybody, I'm sure, wants to just to shut up. And I've been in the classroom where I wasn't that guy. And I'm like, God damn it, shut up already. Yeah, this is just a very believable book that I never felt as a 36-year-old. I never felt like my time was wasted. I never felt like my intelligence was insulted. I was never bored. This was this was a fun read. Brown writes great kids. You see it if you read his Jedi Academy books his Lucy and Andy Neanderthal trilogy. I first encountered him through the Vader and Son stuff and have kind of followed his career since, as well as getting some of his other books. He has one, it's almost a kids say the darndest things where he just takes his crazy interactions that his son has had with him and his wife and the people around them and just drawn them out. And my favorite, yes, I'm going to tell you a comic strip over an audio medium but oh perfect it's just you know it's why we started a podcast matt yeah it's his son is sitting with a a, a snow cone that is multicolored, and he's he's licking it and a couple of other kids go like hey what's that taste like clothes it tastes like human clothes (laughs) (laughs) it's just deadpan you can i can always get this deadpan vibe coming off the kid in that panel you really like Damien in this and you really like Howard Howard is the kid who's sort of been the nice big man on campus in this middle school everybody likes Howard Howard's friendly Howard's talented Howard's never had any competition and then here comes Damien Damien who is trained to be an assassin and a superhero so guess who's gonna wind up being better on the soccer pitch of course it's Damien. Even Damien tries to rein it in a little, but he's still Damien. And when somebody is a, is a rival, Damien is going to find a way to take them out, even if he isn't going to murder them. Uh, my headcanon, as it were, why Damien was moved from you know Gotham Prep to Gotham Metro. Is that the name of the, the school here? Yeah, I believe so. 
my thinking is that we wanted to socialize Damien like normal kids. And I wonder if this book couldn't have just been a little bit stronger with that made textually. Yeah. I mean, cause that's a, that's a really great note and a really positive thought. This school is diverse. This school has probably people you're not going to have that Gotham prep. And I think that's good. Matt's putting his nose in the air. When you see the Gotham prep kids, their their noses are like way, way up. And Brown draws a really diverse school with Gotham Metro, but they never make a big deal about that. It's just natural inclusivity, which is great. One of the kids is is handicapped. He literally only has one hand, but they never draw attention to it it's just there in the art the mystery is fairly thin but it's not intended to be a real mystery it's just sort of there to give batman a reason to be out of the picture for a story and to let brown do some funny moments of batman literally locked in the supply room at gotham preps soccer facility and him eating out of the vending machine and this broccoli protein bar is pretty good. <laughs> him commenting that the gargoyle pose really doesn't work on top of a vending machine. It's funny. It's funny when it needs to be. There's a great moment where after Howard and Damien actually have a, a brief physical altercation where Howard shoves Damien. They talk to the principal and the principal's Howard, your father is here. And Damien, your uh, Alfred is here. Alfred is is great. Alfred is, is Alfred's always the best. We've said this once. We've said it a hundred times. Alfred is pretty much always the best. Big Daddy Chip, if you're listening, please, please bring Alfred back. Please find a way. There's there's a million ways. Just 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 let's let's get some Alfred. Joshua Williamson, if you're listening, something happens at the end of Dark Crisis when the Justice League is resurrected. That also finds a way to bring back Alfred. Hey. That sounds good to me. I want to go back to that fight really quick and quick shout out to Principal Washington, if I believe that was her name. I love just the little subtle eye roll of, I cannot with these kids right now. I just, I just, you guys are just little snots and you're going to work this out. You're going to grow out of this. Most kids do. The kids that don't grow up to be assholes that everybody hates, but just that little just moment of exasperation was so good. It, it's not the kind of thing that you would expect to see in a book that was aimed exclusively for kids, right? This is Brown doing that good Pixar thing that works on two levels. And that was something I really appreciated. There's a lot of great art in this book. There's just one panel of Bruce and Talia fighting. And it would be so easy to either neuter that sort of vibe or to make it a little too graphic for this book and have it really stand out. But it's just a really neat little panel of the two of them sort of both in combat poses against each other that looks pretty cool. And the the very last two-page spread that's pretty much a stinger scene. The villain in this book winds up being the soccer coach at Gotham Prep. And in the end, to give him his comeuppance as he never did anything that is actually illegal. Bruce finds a way to get him hired as the soccer coach at Arkham. And the final two page spread is all the Arkham villains sort of playing soccer and him standing there with his, his head in his hand completely like, what the fuck did I get into? And it's, it's a great little illustration. Big illustrations is a two page spread and it's just clever. Yeah, his uh, his big plan was to take Gotham Prep undefeated in soccer for an entire season, and he was going to get called up to colleges, I guess. But I I think we could we could find something to charge him with. I mean, he tr- he trespassed, he he uh, he tampered with team equipment. He he did something. There's property crime. Something. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I somehow think making him the soccer coach at Arkham might be worse. Because you know he's going to get killed by somebody. He's going to piss off the wrong Arkham inmate. And somebody's going to just 
shiv him at some point. The uh, the Arkham leagues all always work out so well, though, as we saw in Madman Across the Water. Oh yeah, I do like that. Batman does not carry a phone charger in his utility belt, and <laughs> thinks that yeah, boy, maybe I need to replace it. Maybe the anti shark repellent bat spray. I don't use that that much. A sixty six nod. Keep a can of that in the bat boat. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that quite counts as a shark watch, but there is a mention of the shark repellent bat spray. So I I needed to call that out. This is another book I could see Brown doing another story in. And maybe Damien and Howard go to summer camp or that turns out to be Talia having taken over a summer camp and they have to interact (laughs) with talia for the summer at a camp run by someone who is evil i'd read that i think there's a fun story in there i love when damien's getting ready to tell howard that he's robin there's narration in howard's head as it's happening he's walking hearing about bruce having you know disappeared is his dad a mob boss is he a vampire and then damien's bring him down into the back he's like he is a vampire does he deal in uh illegal antiquities no he's batman and i gotta give damien credit you know when alfred's like you, you shouldn't have brought him down here it's like come on bruce has brought people down here for dumber reasons than this damien has one friend and he needs him to help him find bruce that is a valid reason alfred even alfred is alfred. not much a hard ass about it Alfred, he's brought women down here just the bone. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we covered it really that this book, there's not any hello, fellow children. Let me try to talk like you in this book. And it keeps enough of Damien's character from the main universe where he is still arrogant. And he still loves animals. He's got a a dog named Dribble in here. There's a lot of soccer talk, which goes a bit over my head. But I'm sure if you followed soccer, I'd wager it is accurate. And if it isn't, it sure sounds like it is. Yeah, I bought it. But like you, don't know a whole lot about soccer. I just generally enjoyed this book. I wouldn't even say generally. I absolutely enjoyed it. No qualifiers needed, man. Yeah, yeah. I'll go with it. I enjoyed this book. But I think that puts us at the end, so. That means it's time to put Batman and Robin and Howard on the big board. Okay. Our other book from this same line of DC for younger readers is Overdrive, which is down at 66. We're, We're well above that. Unfortunately, the I mean, the other point of comparison is Lil Gotham, which I don't think this quite beats Lil Gotham. This is tighter than Lil Gotham. That it is. That it is. But Lil Gotham wasn't intended to be tight. Lil Gotham uh, is an fair. anthology. If we put it in between those two, that's still a pretty wide swath of stories that's between 34 and 66 or is it a little better than Lil Gotham because Lil Gotham is more down than I thought it was I thought Lil Gotham was higher up well Lil Gotham right now is the bottom of the top third which which feels about right and which also feels Batman Robin and Howard yeah okay Uh, two above that is Bloodstorm the second of the Vampire Batman trilogy how do we feel about this in relation to Bloodstorm? If we're feeling this is tighter and Lil Gotham has some real emotion to it, but there's also a lot of just wackiness to it. While this has a logical emotional arc throughout, both for kids learning about all the things that we said before, but also by the end, Bruce having disappeared for a week does sit down with Damien and watch a soccer match, which he, didn't do before so even bruce learned something in this book i think it's better than bloodstorm i think it's better than birth of the demon yeah it might not be better than cry for blood yeah i think we can put this as our new 31 all right very good showing 
you can tell Mr. Brown that he has the 31st best Batman story ever written really? as of Easter weekend 2022. <laughs> I'll pass that on. Okay. That does it for tonight. Next week, it's time to spend a night with the second Robin in an episode we're calling Two Deaths and One Very Good Day for Jason Todd. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, June, the conduit of outdated joke names. Joshua That's a Wheel. mouthful, June. It is. Joshua Wheel, Abigail Hartbaum, <laughs> Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Sam Hopper, Kyle Still, and Christian Smith for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music, slash Audible, and on Comics XF, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shout-outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin, and I'm out of here. Good night, Batesville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend, Dan Grote, and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.